Welcome back to Alpi Parsha Podcast, your Torah portion podcast. Each month, we will do a bird's eye view of all the weekly Torah portions, then we'll zoom in on a passage or theme that catches our eye, and we'll connect it back to Judaism and our own lives. And this month, we'll be covering Bereshit, Noach, and Lech Lecha. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Saleka, and as always, I'm joined by... Aaron Rotenberg. Hey, Paul. Hey, how's your summer been, Aaron? I've seen you a little bit over the summer, but not as much as we normally would. I know. It's been a while since we've been here podcasting. Uh, my summer was good. Thinking back on it, well, what was it? I was at Heart to Heart. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, camp program that I'm in most years with Jewish and Palestinian youth from Israel. And... Oh, I was in doing some rabbinical school stuff with Aleph uh, outside of Philly. That was great, too. I could go into more detail, but what about you? How was your summer? My summer was just fantastic. Lots of relaxing. I guess one new thing I picked up over the summer, and maybe this proves that I'm still young. I really got into AI, like super into it. Like, I don't know what everyone's so scared of. Mm. Um, So I... Hopefully my husband's not listening to this, but I did uh, subscribe to ChatGPT4, the $20 a month. Um, so that's uh-huh. been really fun. Like uh, we were, I'm already known for making lots of WhatsApp groups, but now I can make a WhatsApp group where I'll use AI to describe what the group is about and they'll create a picture for me. So I was uh, meeting up with a friend a month from now and I made a, a picture of the three of us with AI and James was like, is this a creepy AI photo again? Like, um, and in preparation too, Aaron, I, I was like, let's make a photo of two people podcasting. One of them's wearing a kippah. So this is what AI thinks we look like. Whoa. Describe it for me. That is pretty, that is pretty good. There's two individuals sitting at a computer with some tea, which we are too, with a laptop and a pen, headphones on. We don't have headphones. Sweaters. Wearing sweaters. Mm-hmm. And one of them is wearing a kippa. Yeah, one of them is wearing a kippa, and one is more. One of them is a brunette, one's a redhead. But the redhead's a bit fair, and I'm fair, and you're not as fair as me. So like, there's that commonness. So oh, yeah, the future is here. I mean, they give you two options, and this is the other one. I guess I didn't specify uh, the gender. The other one's a man and a woman doing a podcast. Um, so yeah, very. These are quite remarkable. Yeah, it's... um, They look like photographs. It's quite uncanny. It's already improved a lot in the last month or so. Um, So yeah, ChatGPT is what I'm using. And this is Dali, the image maker within ChatGPT. And it creates images. And it's really put higher education through a loop because it creates, you know, gets rid of a lot of that filler. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, let's say you want to write a cover letter or a resume or a story. Like, it'll do that for you. So uh, I'm all for it. Can't fight the future. Can't fight progress. But we can't go forward without looking back to the beginning, beginning yeah. which is are. Bereshit mm-hmm. in the beginning. And, you know, due to popular demand from me, uh, we are shifting gears a little bit to doing a monthly podcast, which will give us a nice opportunity to do more bird's eye viewing of the Torah portions of each month. So mm-hmm. I do have to ask you, Aaron, like, because um, I feel like you've got such good takes on this, like, what are some ways you would describe the themes and structure and the overall approach to Barry Sheet? Like, what's what's kind of how is it encapsulated? You know, as we, that way we can kind of keep these things in mind as we go through it. Yeah, we'll get into it 
a little bit more, but I kind of feel like there's two parts of Brayshit of Genesis. The first part is kind of like the primordial history. It's kind of like the creation of the world and like early ancestors and like short stories and vignettes about what's happening that gives way to the family history of uh, our Hebrew, Israelite, eventually Jewish ancestors. So we start with like the history of the world and all of creation and then focus in on one family and then, then kind of tell a family story uh, for most of the way through. And probably there are also, and maybe we could keep an eye out for this. I haven't exactly read Brayshit with this in mind, but there's the creation of the world. And then like there's elements of creation that I think are still like being worked out and balanced out in the family story. And I think that there's a way in which the uh, Abraham and Sarah and their family kind of are a microcosm of creation. And I think this is probably something that I, I think even in our own Jewish lives that we refer back to the creation of the world in Shabbat and as a way in which we are always modeling our our lives kind of with the creation myths in mind. And I think that's even happening within the text itself. That is really interesting. I never... It almost sounds like a fantasy story in a way. Well, I mean, I guess that makes sense with uh, some of the fantastical things that happen in the Torah. Um... Because, I mean, the thing, and we can get into this in a bit, but, like, uh, for example, you know, today people are mortal. Uh, and people mm-hmm. at first are immortal in the Garden of Eden. And then people seem to live a very long time, even, you know, with Abraham and Sarah. Um, so it's right. almost like that normality of the world is just, like, still coming in. Like, something, like, the just, like, I guess, talk about creation still evening itself out. So I, I never thought of those stories as a microcosm for... Uh, creation so and creation still happening a little bit throughout so that's definitely something i want to keep an eye on as we discuss this yeah and maybe just one of like one of the themes is i think ongoing uh tweaking and trying to like move towards a better world right? i think that there's a way in which the creation story there's like things that keep going a little bit awry and like need to be fixed and need to be tweaked that mm, People aren't so great. There's a flood. People like again aren't so great. They destroy God destroys the, the the tower, and there's like these ongoing issues of like family dynamics where like uh, brothers aren't getting along. Need to do something. And then uh, again, there's some ongoing peace, uh, which I think is an interesting theme in Jewish life. That we're always there's a certain directionality that we're always working to make things better. Yeah, our linear sense of time, and you know. I've worked a lot of jobs with first students and now instructors. Mm-hmm. And I've said for years, like, you can't change a person. You can only nudge them into becoming better decision makers. So coming back to the idea of tweaking, like, even in my own life, getting ahead of myself. I said at the end, we were connected back to our own lives. Let's um, jump in with it. Let's jump into it. So yeah. uh, in the spirit of the elevator pitch that we did when it was a weekly tour portion, mm-hmm. I'm going to just give us kind of a stab at what's happening over these three parshiotes. Um, for this month and then we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive after that so this will be amazing not a one not three parshas over one minute but instead kind of a broad overview brought to us by our best friends chabad.org thank you chabad.org <laughs> thank you chabad.org full of resources um so starting with bereshit which aaron mentioned means in the beginning 
uh, where God creates the earth in six days. We have darkness and light, and we have the heavens and the upper waters and the lower waters mm. and land and the sea and trees yeah. and greenery and the earth. And on the fourth day, it's the sun and the moon and the stars. And then uh, the fish and the birds and the reptiles on the fifth day. And then humans on the sixth day. Mm-hmm. And then we have this kind of interesting doublet of two creation stories. There's the quick one. And then a more detailed one where we hear about Adam being created, creating God creating Eve out of Adam. Um, and then Adam and Eve are told not to eat from the tree of good, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, but the serpent persuades them to do so, and they are exiled. Oof. Ugh. And then they have a son, Cain and Abel, who quarrel, and Abel murders <laughs> him and becomes a rootless wanderer. And they have another son, Seth. And then we're in Parsha Noah. Noah. Yeah, with that good classic sound. Hmm. Uh, and with Noah, like Aaron was talking about with that redo or restart, if you used a computer before, um, God instructs Noah, the only righteous man in the world that's consumed by violence and corruption to build a large ark. Uh, and then he gives a lot of instructions about how to do that, which animals to have in there. And for 40 days and 40 nights, the rain is falling, but he's there with his family. Um, and then there's another 150 days before it calms. And then uh, a series of doves. Uh, kind of points to the signs that the water has receded. Um, There's a bunch of family drama that I won't get into. And then all of Noah's descendants have become one group of people with one language and they decide to build a castle to heaven or a tower, Tower of Babel. Um, But then God creates different languages for them and they are separated. And that Mm -hmm. was Noah. And then we move into Lech Lecha, which is Abraham's story. So, yeah. or Abram. Uh, so, Lech Lecha meaning go forth from your land. God commands Abram to leave his land to the land that he will show him. Um, you know, I'm not as familiar with this one. Do you have a really quick summary in your mind of Lech Lecha? Can I throw it back to you spontaneously? Uh, yeah. You're good at it. For sure. And as I'm flipping through uh, my Tanakh here, too, that's. Abraham and Sarah go off and try to find their own way in in the world and they have all sorts of adventures in the land of Canaan where they where they've left from and it's kind of like the introduction to the start of what we consider monotheism Uh, Abraham and Sarah are bringing their own tradition forward and they've run in with people like Avimelech and uh, other people that are local in the land of Canaan and they try to work things out uh, make some deals, have some challenges, and uh, make a covenant with God. Makes a covenant with Abraham, saying that you will be the father of a great nation. Which also is going to tie into this theme, which I think we didn't mention of uh, or this promise of being a great nation, being fertile. But then there's this tension that comes back of most of our ancestors have troubles with fertility and that's mm-hmm. uh, and requires lots of prayer and maneuvering and we did it you know i know we went from a one minute summary to an elevator summary i would almost say that's kind of like a a sprint we did a parsha sprint, sprint. i feel like we definitely felt the urgency for some reason despite no one timing us but we really got through three parsha and what's kind of fun about doing the monthly thing like we're talking about the macro level now we can kind of almost discuss about 
some of these larger themes that you were mentioning about the nudging, mm-hmm. the allusion to creation, the reset, the changing. Um, yeah. Because even just thinking about, uh, I guess, one of the first stories after Adam and Eve of Cain and Abel, like, um, that in itself kind of already has uh, one of the first deaths where, like, something is being pruned, essentially, within that family tree. Um, I never really understood why... Actually, I always mix up. Which one's the one... Which one's the good one and which one's the bad one? With Cain and Cain Abel? And Abel. Uh, Cain kills Abel, so I guess Cain is the bad one. Cain is the bad Abel one and he kills the... Abel. And Cain... See, this is where also the problem with being Jewish... Sometimes I mix up stories with the Bible. It's I remember being taught that Cain is the bad one because he's vegetarian. <laughs> like, something like that. And Abel, like, sacrifices meat, so he's the good one. And I'm like... Yeah. Um, which is funny because in the Gan Eden, um, mm-hmm. everyone's vegetarian. Although that could also be a story. So, like, you think it's the ideal way at first. But then in this one folk story, it seems that uh, because one of them cultivates crops and one cultivates animals, the, the crops mm-hmm. are kind of less desired sacrifices to Hashem, the creator. Yeah. And I think that it could represent, or this is an idea at least that I've heard, that maybe the person who's or Cain who's cultivating plants is like connected with agriculturalists and Abel who's herding sheep maybe is represents a more like nomadic uh way of being that it might also be like representing like uh archetypal ways that our ancestors were living off the land and trying to show I'm not sure which the preference is so clearly in the story but I would have thought just because of agriculture becoming the main thing that agriculture would be the better one. Uh, But all of our ancestors, and this is also a theme, that they're shepherds and they're mm. like, that seems to be something that is valued and appreciated in the text. They do become farmers, but we don't see like the early ancestors are more wandering nomadic types. And just even that Cain and Abel duality, is that almost like, do you feel like, I mean... It reminds me of Jacob and Esau a little bit, who, you know, mm. we'll be getting to later in the Torah. Because, yes. um, like, uh, Esau being kind of the more gruff and wild one, and Jacob being the one who, in folklore, mm-hmm. goes to study in a house of study, an anachronistic story that we've discussed the last cycle, and we'll continue to discuss. Um, but, yeah, almost like that duality archetype seems to be echoed between those two stories yeah and there is a a feeling that these early stories aren't as fleshed out right they also like don't have extended dialogue even in the Cain and Abel story it's kind of just like some of the lines even feel like cut off we don't feel the get all the details but then yeah the themes come back around and we see it like more clearly like this brotherly tension and opposing ways of being in the world yeah exactly come back it's almost like the reversal of aging like when you're young time goes by slowly and when you're older time goes by quickly but in the reverse in the Tanakh the creation which we now know through science (laughs) took place over I want to say billions of years but here it's just you know happened so quickly happened so quickly in a snap in a snap and we'll be right back with you in a snap Crackle Pop.
And we're back. I hope you enjoyed that commercial for Kellogg's Rice Krispies. Um, the number one food for, historically this is true, Seventh-day Adventists. Oh, um, who knew? Yeah, and that's a story for another podcast. Maybe for an ecumenical one, but not for this one. Not for this one, because we have to talk about, um, I'm not sure. Do you want to talk about the flood? Yes, the coming Noah? to the flood, talking mm-hmm. about the tweak and reset. Yeah, what was it that the people were doing that was so bad anyway? You know, was there a lot of sex? <laughs> well, or that comes after, no, doesn't it? Yeah, right, that's going to be this. Everybody's doing lots of different things. Uh, it is, we're not really addressing, we haven't addressed also the political situation and the war, but like this particular word that's used in the book of Noah, uh, in the book of Genesis, in the story of Noah, it says that the earth was filled with Hamas, because it happens to be the Hebrew word that is used there. So it's. What does that mean? Because I've heard exactly. a rabbi say that before. Yeah, so it's variously translated as like lawlessness and then the, or like something not good. Uh, it's not related to the terror organization in Gaza. It's like, which is an acronym of like Arabic words. It just oh. happens to be a Hebrew word in the Torah too. But. There's like Midrashim where the rabbis say that people were stealing from each other. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they thought they were only stealing like a little bit and it didn't really matter because like, no, every little thing makes a difference. Um, That's so interesting. So like little th- little thefts in this kind of exegesis are drownable offenses, I guess. Yeah, right. We're so serious that the world was destroyed. You know and what? I- mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, I don't like getting into conspiracy theory. I conspiracy theories because I just don't think anyone could keep a secret. But you know, it just reminds me of those conspiracy theorists over COVID believing the Great Reset, kind of like, oh, COVID's mm-hmm. here to reset things. Although, to give the conspiracy theorists a bit of credit, I guess it did sort of reset some social circles for me. It definitely made some of them mm. smaller, not necessarily in a bad way, um, but just kind of thinking about that reset in our lives and i know is this is this jewish folklore is this non-jewish folklore that some of the animals that were reset i guess were like unicorns and dinosaurs or no that's not so that's not in the torah this is i think a way that people try to make other things line up well where are the unicorns they were drowned in the flood where are the dinosaurs (laughs) they're drowned in the flood but people uh not me i feel inclined to accept the timeline of science but people who are uh, literalists and trying to follow the timeline of the Torah like have a bit of an issue with dinosaur bones like how do you if we like we can kind of count backwards knowing how old everybody is to like the beginning of the world 5,784 years ago to the creation of the world but then you've dated these dinosaur bones to like much before that so what do you do it's a trick to test your faith <laughs> right so that's what say, i learned from tv um, so you could say things like that <laughs> uh, but it doesn't even fit with like the flood story so but there are other midrashim and for me that are more in like the realm of mystical teachings that the that god was creating and destroying worlds before 
the beginning of Genesis so that there were other like worlds and creations that existed in some realm. And people are like, oh yeah, maybe the dinosaurs were just one of those previous worlds that God made and destroyed before starting actually at Brayshit. And maybe there's other things that precede. That's such a good fantasy novel right there that just like this one world that God's about to destroy that existed beforehand. Uh, that's really interesting. Yeah. I, I, where is that? Do you know where that reference is from? Or like, you know, one of those <laughs> exegetical have, texts. I don't have the source. Maybe if I search. And, you know, while you're looking up that source, uh, I know we said we wouldn't talk about the conflict because uh, I talk about it at work all the time. Did we say uh, that? Okay. Well, that, we said that to each other privately oh, okay. in our minds without any words. Mm-hmm. Um, both of our jobs require us, I guess, to talk about the conflict all the time. So I'm giving myself the reprieve to not talk about it. But the day after the conflict or around that time... Um, I was walking the conflict. The conflict's always there. But the day after October 7th, I want to say, uh, I was walking down the beach in Wasega Beach, which if you listened to us last uh-huh. year, I seem to mention An it very often. important place in this podcast. <laughs> very, yeah, very important place. I went there with uh, Aaron once as well. It's true. Um, and as I was walking down the beach, I saw a rainbow uh, it was the most vivid rainbow of my life uh, that I'd ever seen uh, on South Georgian Bay. Hmm. And as you all know, but if you don't know, uh, in Judaism, we have to say a blessing after certain things or certain natural phenomenon or on the first of saying things. And the thing you say hmm. after you see a rainbow is Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Zocher HaBrit Eman Bivrito Kayam bim, bim amaro. Uh-huh. Uh, blessed are you, uh, Hashem, our God, King of the Universe, who remembers the covenant and is faithful to His covenant and keeps His promise. Um, mm. And you know, honestly, it did give me a little bit of comfort uh, during a very difficult week to think that it's funny. We just said, "Oh yeah, we're not literalists." But maybe I literally do believe that, that that was God telling me to remind me uh, of his covenant with mm. one of many covenants, we think. That's me and Aaron's theory. Mm. Uh, but of his covenant with the Jewish people, uh, that he'll keep his promise, um, I guess, to take care of us. So, Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's a beautiful bracha. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah, it was emotional also hear about how it yeah, how it got through to you in that moment when it was needed signs are a real thing i mean that's the the rainbow is a sign how do you mean that i think that it's a real thing uh that they we can if we keep our i guess my theory or way of being in the world is that if we keep our eyes and minds and hearts open like messages might be there for us if we can can keep open to them oh, i thought you were going to say something like scientists discover that signs are real oh. <laughs> i was like oh yeah tell no, me. no no not in a, not in a <laughs> like, scientifically proven way in a theologically minded way that's a really good reminder like for a lot of my life i've been anti-science i guess this is us bringing it okay. into our own lives 
as well as the text, which we'll continue to dive into. But like, um, I was always very anti signs in my life mm. for whatever reason. I just felt like it was very, um, sometimes it felt like emotional reasoning, like, Oh, I feel a way and I'm going to project it onto the world. And my grandmother who actually was quite religious had this funny expression, which was very anti-science. Maybe I've told you this expression. Mm. She says, if you have a strange dream, it means the weather is going to change, which is a joke because the weather always changes. Um, meaning that signs don't exist. But maybe if I'm hearing what you're saying and maybe because of your theological background, there is some benefit to seeing signs or seeing Hashem in the world or just feeling taken care of in that way. Because, yeah, me and my partner, we talk about the world in that way. So maybe I, I've slowly begun to believe in signs without thinking about it, you know? So become a signs believer, but not like that scary movie. Yeah, and I think it's not about it being true or not. Like, is the, have you properly interpreted this bird flying in this way to tell you what to do mm-hmm. in your next career choice? Not like that, <laughs> but yeah, feeling guided and encouraged in your life by like observing and interpreting the world around you. Which... Maybe just even the signs in our own way of being, like how we're reacting to things. Sometimes I think we may kind of push our feelings under the water, like Mm. underground, because we don't want to be swayed by the things happening around us. But maybe the signs in our personality and in our emotions and our feelings, you know, also direct us a certain way. And sometimes we need to listen to it. And sometimes, sometimes we need to not listen to it. So how do you tell the difference, I guess, Mm. is the big theological question. When is it a sign, Aaron? You know, because you're three quarters done rabbinical school. And when is it a false sign? Mm, Well, I still don't have the answer to that. But one piece that comes up for me is that these aren't signs in the same way. But maybe one place we can look is to our ancestors. That's like, I think, a meaningful way for me to relate to and like make sense of my world uh, is to see what hints uh, previous generations left and like try to work on and build from there. and there is this idea in Judaism and also in like uh, understanding the Torah and the text. In Hebrew, we say, Ma'ase avot siman lebanim. What uh, the earlier generations did is a sign to like teach something to the generations that to come. So when we see Abraham doing something, perhaps like getting out of his or Abraham and Sarah getting into their comfort zone and leaving their country and going somewhere else. Like maybe that's a sign for us that like sometimes we can also take leaps of faith and get get outside of our comfort zone. Where are we moving to, Aaron? Where are we going? to? Uh, we don't know. <laughs> Abraham and Sarah didn't know. We can. We just got to go. <laughs> just, just. Sorry, this podcast is over. We're leaving. <laughs> if you hear this, get up, leave your house, and just start walking, and you'll know where to go. But even in the way of like multiple ways to understand these signs mm-hmm. so that's like one interpretation just it, we interpret Lech Lecha that way but actually if we look at the end of the book of uh, Parsha of Noah we hear that Terach and Avraham and his father and family were going to the land of Canaan before before this call of Lech Lecha the family was already leaving Haran they already were on their way to the land of Canaan so Abraham really was just following in his father's footsteps. His father said, we're going to the land of Canaan. And then God 
shows up and is like, hey, go somewhere. I'm not telling you where. But it ends up being the land of Canaan. So That's so funny. It's almost paternalistic. Like, holy cannelloni, God, I was going to go to Canaan anyway. It's not because <laughs> you thought of it. You know, I can imagine Abraham being like, oh, like, you didn't think of this. Yeah. And I think that, that may be also a piece of how we might. Well, I don't know if this is taking us out of the realm of science but like we know like deep down where we're going and we just like need to get in touch with it uh there's our environment there's our genes Mm -hmm. they also like direct us and we can trust and have faith in those things too yeah it's interesting i never thought of judaism as an ancestor worship religion but i guess in a lot of ways it is because we mentioned the patriarchs and in many traditions the matriarchs and also sometimes moses or solomon or david um so maybe mm-hmm. it is kind of an ancestor worship where the past models you know the future for us um you know in that interesting way yeah that's at least one way that i like to look at it i'm more into ancestors these days what do you mean why is that I find it just a, a meaningful way to connect that feels more grounded, like thinking about what would my ancestors think about what I'm doing now. And also one of my friends, Robbie Soloway, is doing like teaching about Jewish ancestral wisdom and said something to me on Rosh Hashanah, but like, oh, and also to think about how we might think of ourselves as ancestors to coming generations. Like I feel like that framework of just seeing ourselves in a in a chain is one of the powerful pieces of being grounded in the tradition. Wow. That's really powerful, like seeing ourselves as ancestors. Mm-hmm. You know, I think because people live so long now, it takes so long to age, it's hard to see ourselves as an ancestor. But yeah, I guess we're all ancestors and just modeling our own behavior for future generations uh it's almost something i feel like we've i hate saying things like today we've lost that sense of that because maybe we haven't maybe people are always self-interested um but i'm definitely going to you've given me something to think about aaron thinking of myself as an ancestor uh, as i go about my life i guess that's also kind of what parenting is right like you want to model certain things to your child sometimes things that are nostalgic but mm-hmm. some of those things that are helpful. Um, and that's also on ourselves to kind of differentiate those two things. Maybe I've told you the story, but I remember my uncle sitting down, me and my cousin. Maybe these are maybe this happened separately or together, and he was like, You guys need to see Star Wars. This is like an important movie. And you know, to be honest, we loved it, it was great. But imagine we didn't love it. Like you imagine this nostalgic thing that every your next generation is gonna love it because you saw it in theaters, but maybe not. Um, some things do change over time. And uh, I don't know, this is then, I feel like this has gone to a really emotional place. We looked at the creation story, but also how the creation story happens within us all the time in our lives and how the ancestors show us that and how we can model Mm -hmm. our ancestors. These actually are all very cohesive, connected points unintentionally. Um, That's how it goes sometimes. Yeah, how we're constantly creating and tweaking and nudging and hopefully moving forward towards a better direction. So I think that's kind of a, a good way to encapsulate both the themes of Barry, uh, Genesis and these three partiotes.
Does that sound right? That sounds great. Looking forward to seeing where it takes us next time. Yeah, let's see uh, what happens next month. And uh, as always, I've been Paul Salika. And I'm Aaron Rotenberg. Take care, friends. Thank you.